Well, uh, if I haven't met you before, I'm Mark, lead pastor here at Barrel Hills, and it is great that we can have a little chat this morning. It's something we are uh, slotting our uh, preaching and uh, time here at Barrel Hills, that we have opportunities to hear stories, uh, testimonies, stories of where God has been at work. And uh, for many people here today, uh, they may know you, but there's many that won't know you, uh, Biz, or Robin Maddock, as your real name is, so I'm going to get you to talk uh, about that in a second, but I got to know you uh, when I was in my early 20s. I was uh, not a Christian, I wasn't, didn't grow up in a Christian home, and my first experience of just a Christian community was I did my teaching rounds in my early 20s uh, at Christian College, and you're the chaplain there, and I still remember you, and I remember thinking, wow, this woman has a lot of energy and a lot of life, and I remember thinking, you're awesome. And uh, your, your love and, uh, just had a big impact on my life and it has, and we've, we've known each other pretty much since then, it wasn't long after I was a teacher there and, and you and your husband Chris and your whole family have been a real encouragement to me and many others. But we're really excited to hear your story this morning because uh, uh, you, you've got a story. I think all of us have a story and uh, we love to use this as an opportunity for others other than the, the pastors and the, and the preachers, to be able to share what God has done in people's lives. So enough about my experience with you. I'd love for you to just, just let everyone know, introduce yourself, maybe just share a little bit about your, your nickname or what everyone, what everyone calls you and your family. Thanks, Biz. Thank you, Mark. It is a real privilege to be able to share my story this morning because it's a story of the goodness of God. Yeah. And um, so anyhow, my name is Robin Maddock, Robin Joy Maddock. And uh, when I was about two years of age, a family friend nicknamed me Busy Bum. <laughs> exactly. And um, so it went from Busy Bum to Busy to just Biz, and it stuck, obviously. And most people that call me Biz have no idea why I'm called Biz. And um, my, my dad and my siblings, I have two older, had two older siblings, I've still got one, one has passed, but... Um, called me Biz, but my mother kept always called me Robin. And uh, when I met Chris, my husband's family, they Chris called often refers to me as Robin, which I quite like coming from my husband. Mind you, I have no preference. If you know me as Robin, call me Robin. If you know me as Biz, call me Biz. Um, but he introduced me to his family as Robin, and so to the Maddock family, I'm Auntie Robin, and to the Johnston family, I'm Auntie Biz. So I'm a dual person, and uh, fantastic. So for you growing up, it was a little bit different to a, a lot of a lot of us. You grew up uh, not in a normal home as such, although it was a, a home, but it was a little bit different. And uh, and I think too, your, your dad had a bit of a he was a bit of a known person around Geelong. That's right. So when I was. My dad was a butcher initially, and when I was five, my parents took over a guest house at Queenscliff. And from the time I was five till I was 11, we lived in a guest house, which again was not a regular home per se. And then when I was 11, my parents purchased the Carlton Hotel, which is in Mallop Street in the city of Geelong. And that's now been incorporated into the new NDIS building. But um, so moving into the hotel, was a really different experience. At least at the guest house, there was a little bit of normality. But once we moved into the hotel, I was really very much left to my own devices. It was a three-storey building and we lived... There was a small flat upstairs. My bedroom was one of the hotel bedrooms. And my dad worked very hard, as did my mother. But 
it was very much a disjointed, it wasn't a regular family environment. So I was left a lot to my own devices. Um, we didn't have a kitchen, so I used to go down and uh, in, eat in the dining room every evening. And I could have waited to eat with my parents, but they didn't eat till 7.30 or 8 o'clock. And look at me, I'm not going to last that long. <laughs> so at 6 o'clock, I would go down to the dining room and I would order my lunch, and, uh, sorry, my dinner. And it would be, in those days, it was white linen tablecloths and serviettes. There was enough cutlery on either side to make up two hands. Um, I would have a drink waiter come and ask me if I would like a drink. Uh, initially, when I first arrived there, I was going, yeah, I'll have a Coke, I'll have a Coke, I'll have a Coke, and they kept coming and asking until my dad said, Robin, you had one soft drink a night? Oh, okay. So, um, yes, yeah, so yeah, so I was left a lot to my own devices, and it wasn't a really great experience to be perfect. It was very lonely, yeah. eating on your own. It wasn't great. So... Another thing, we're just just regarding your dad. Like you obviously, uh, he was also involved with the Geelong Footy oh, Club. Sorry, that's what you were going. To I was going to ask that because I'm actually interested because uh, you've been to a few Geelong Grand Finals. Am I right? How many all up have you been? How many Grand Finals and how many premierships have you seen as a Geelong supporter? Well, actually, I don't really know. I thought about that. I don't really know how many. My, my first uh, Grand Final was in 1967 when I watched Geelong get done by Richmond. <laughs> Um, anyhow, I went to quite a few losing grand... Sorry, I went to the 89 grand final where we lost by one goal and Gary Ablett kicked nine goals that day and won the Norm Smith. So although we had lost, it was like I'd won, so that was great. Went to a, quite a few in the 1990s where we lost and lost terribly. Went to the 2007 and that was awesome. In 2009, I gave up my seat for my daughter-in-law. And uh, in 2011, I went back to that one, and of course, I was there this year. But our real connection with... My dad was president of the Geelong Football Club back in 1970-71. And um, so we've always had a connection to the Geelong Football Club and a passion. Chris's brother, younger brother, played for Geelong a few games until he got injuries. So there's always been a... We've been a footy household. We've raised our, our boys barrack for Geelong, our grandkids barrack for Geelong. So it's just an interest that we have that we... I'd say I enjoy. Chris loves it. I'd say I enjoy. The reason why it's really important to go there, you grew up in a lot of ways, and much you were like a princess in a lot of ways at the yes. Carlton, yes. getting waited on. Yes. So you grew up really privileged. And you talked a little bit about yeah. uh, the fact that you, uh, yeah, obviously grew up in, in uh, Geelong. People knew who you were yes. because of your dad and that. Yep. But your life inside wasn't going that well. So would you like to paint a picture for us all today about how you felt, especially when you were that, that sort of teenage, when you were a little bizzling, when you were younger, yeah. um, how that actually, how, what was going on in your life and in your okay. heart? Well, I, as I said, I was quite lonely in that environment. Um, when I was 12 and 13, so my sister's three years older, so she would have been, what's that, 15, 16 years of age, my mother... When I think back, I was only in year seven and eight, but my mum would let me go with my sister to the local dances in Geelong, in the city of Geelong. So I had a lot of freedom, Mark. Um, but so anyhow, through going to, we'd go to these dances and I was dabbling in a lot of stuff that really I shouldn't have been dabbling into, but I was a bit lost because as I said, I have, look, I loved my, my mother was a beautiful person but I was just left a lot to my own devices and I, I got a lot of freedom. And um, uh, anyhow, we were going to these dances and uh, at the end uh, of year eight, it was, um, I, I met my first lot of Christians. 
and uh, Youth for Christ used to run a coffee shop in Geelong in the, the building that's opposite the TNG building that's been pulled down because the foundations were shonky. We, there was a coffee shop that Youth for Christ established in the basement and that's what we found. We heard at the dance that there was this really cool place that you go and have coffee and toasted sandwiches or whatever and that it was cheap. <laughs> so what I found myself doing is we would go there after the dances but I started to make connections with these people that kept telling me they were Christians. And so I used to think, I wonder what that means. Does it mean they don't smoke, drink and swear? Like, what does that actually mean? I just didn't get it. And um, so I, I, but I found myself finding, yeah, asking, asking questions. I, was, I, was un, I wasn't happy where I was at and I felt grubby. I felt, you know, I just didn't feel right in myself. And... I was starting to hear more and more what it meant to give your heart to the Lord or give your heart to Jesus. This is what they say, you can give your heart to Jesus. So anyhow, one night I just decided that, you know, I think I really want to make this decision. I think I looked at my life, Mark, and I thought, you know what, I'm not doing real well. And I just started to think, do I think that Jesus Christ might be able to do a bit better with my life than I am? Well, it's a no-brainer, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I was only 13 or no, 14 by this date, 14 years of age, but it just seemed obvious to me that it would be a smart move to entrust your life. I love, love that, Biz, and I know when we caught up for coffee, uh, you talked about that, and I actually wrote that down, and I think we've got that statement up on the screen, the guys could throw that up, that life wasn't going great for you, and you felt that God could do a better job, so you were 17 at that time. No, 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 14. 14, no. but 14. then there was, a, there was a story as well you talked about, about... I want to tell you yeah. how I came to Jesus, because it was incredible. That'd be awesome. And that, that story, and I'm going to share it with you now, has stayed with me throughout my life. So I'm 14 years of age, I decided that it's time for me to ask Jesus into my heart. So I went to these Christians that I'd met, and I said, well, what, what do I need to do? And they said, you need to pray, you need to ask Jesus into your heart. And they prayed for me before I did the prayer, but I said to them, listen, I've never prayed before. I probably have said, I had probably had said some words up to God and at different times, like, give me this, give me that. But... Um, <laughs> You know, I had never... So I said, I can't pray out loud, but I will pray. And I, I, I did. I just shut my eyes. And, I th and my first thing was, Jesus, if you are real. And straight away I thought to myself, well, Biz, you must believe, because otherwise who are you praying to? Yeah. So I thought, okay, I think you are real. So come into my heart. And I'm telling you, right, and that was it. And I said to them, I said, right, I've done it. There was three or four people there, I can't remember exactly. I said, I've done it. I've asked Jesus into my heart. And I'm telling you right now, there was a monumental shift. It was incredible, Mark. And something changed within. Like, it was weird. It was really weird. But something happened in here, and I thought, oh, man. And then a picture came into my head... Now, if you re remember, I didn't ask Jesus to forgive me for my sin because I didn't know I was meant to do that, right? <laughs> so I, but God, this picture came into my head and I've realised that God talks, talks to me all the time about pic with pictures, but, and it was a blackboard because back in the olden days we only had blackboards, not whiteboards. And so a blackboard was there with all the grubby, it all had like graffiti on it and it was all sort of my life and it was all a big fat mess to be perfectly honest. Mm. And I just felt that 
God came and got the, the duster and he just wiped the board clean. Yeah, wow. And it was, isn't that amazing? Yeah. That God, I didn't know the words to pray, but my heart was, yes, I want you. Yeah. And that's what I love about the beauty of God, yeah. that he, he gets us. Like, I didn't have the words, but my heart was open. My heart was really open and I was sincere and I meant it. And that was the beginning of the journey that I'm now doing some 52 years later. Wow. Thanks for sharing that story. It's really powerful. Absolutely. <clears throat> that, picture's, that picture is really a really powerful picture. So we're going to fast forward a little bit. Yep. You've obviously become a Christian. You're starting to connect with other Christians and you meet a lovely Christian man called Christopher I Maddock. Do. I do. If we know Chris, he's and a... And I'll just tell you right now from the word go, I thought, hello, 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 hello. <laughs> Oh, that's so good. So you guys were in, in love. but no, you, we, I would it, say we were in like, Mark. You were in like. But in something like. was going on with you. There was, you liked him. He liked you. Yep. But then you were at a real crossroad. If you could share that, because that's a really powerful story as well. So when I left school, I worked for two and a half years in a solicitor's office in Geelong, which I might add was right next door to the Carlton Hotel, which is ridiculous. So I used to come <coughs> home at five to nine and be at work on time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I worked there for two and a half years. And I, over the years, look, when I became a Christian, I got Ian McKenzie, and some of you will remember him, was my amazing youth leader. And he, you know, we talk about discipling. Really, discipling is just doing life with people, isn't it? Yeah. And encouraging them to grow in their faith. And Macca was amazing to me. Every Sunday, Mark, every Sunday, he would take me to Bible class and uh, church and he just instilled in me the importance of fellowship of hearing the word of god of being together with other christians so also ian introduced me to a place called mill valley ranch which is a christian youth camp and so i did a lot of voluntary work at the ranch for weekends and school holidays and anyhow i was up there at one stage and there was talk that the girl in the office was about to leave mill valley And something, again, that feeling that you get in your heart, something stirred within me, and I thought, you know what, I'd really like to do that job. But I was dating Chris, but we both agreed we weren't like, we weren't in love at this stage, but we were dating. And um, something stirred within me, and I started to really... Because I'd been taught. See, again, Ian McKenzie taught me that God had a plan for my life. And uh, there was a purpose for me being here, that I wasn't just making up the numbers. So Ian, um, taking me to Mill Valley, sorry, yeah, want to do the... So I thought I'd do that. So I I spoke to Bonnie and Arthur Bartlett, who were the managers at the time, and I said, look, I'm feeling a real sense of calling that, you know, would you consider me into a role like that? And yes, Biz, we'll pray about that. So we both went home i went home and started to really seek god about whether i should go on to mill valley and they did the same they started to really pray that through and i remember saying to chris look i'm just really feeling that mill valley is where i need to be and although you and i are dating i just really think that this is the will of god and i think can i just say that one of the things that's really helped me is really bunkering into god what do you want yeah what do you want and so I just felt um, that going to Mill Valley... So to cut a long story short, there was a, a night... I'd actually been to Steve Riddle's 21st birthday and... Uh, Gee, that would have been a long time ago. <laughs> it was. <laughs> and I got home and I couldn't sleep that night. I was tossing and turning about Mill Valley. Like, what will my mum and dad think? 
you know, I'm going to have to give up my job. Mill Valley, you went there to live by faith, so you got a small amount of money, like a, like a... Look, I was earning, I think I was clearing about $88 a week at this solicitor's, and I was going to be going back to about $10 and the rest needed to be provided by faith. So you'd have to pray about it. You'd have to yeah. ask God to meet your needs. So it was a big, big decision. So I thought my parents would think I was nuts. Like, there was a whole lot of stay. Did I, you know, I was very settled in Geelong. I was comfortable there. I liked it. I really liked Chris. But I knew that at the end of the day. So when I'm, I can't sleep this night, so I wake up, like, I just turn on the light, and I, I have a devotion book. I don't use it so much now, but... It was all the living, living Bible, which is what I've needed as a young person. And it uh, was called In Touch, and I just happened to turn over to that day. And, um, and this is what I read, and I'll just quote you some of the things. This is all from the Living Bible, and I'm just doing this from memory. But be bold and strong. Banish fear and doubt. For remember, the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. If you want favour with both God and man, man, then trust the Lord completely. Don't ever trust yourself Put every uh, trust everything to the God to God, and He will count, um, crown your efforts with success. Right. And there was also too about meeting needs. I can't remember Mark, but I knew he'd meet me, my needs financially yeah. as well. Amazing. So the decision was made, and straight away, when you know you're in the centre of will, God, the peace of God came. Yeah. I knew. Yeah. So the next day, of course, I had to say, Chris, I'm sorry, but I don't think we can keep going together because it's. We were, it would have been a long-distance romance. I just didn't think that would work. I had to give notice. I had to tell my parents. Mm. It was scary stuff, Mark. It, it was, was a big really step. Scary. It was a big step for someone. You were obviously quite settled, and, and uh, you had the, obviously the, the relationships with Chris and friends and stuff as well. So there's some great lessons around trust and relying on God and surrendering over, which I think is really, really important. So significant. And I think you, there's another quote there that you said when we caught up, which you, you touched on again, is you know, praying that prayer, which was, what do you want? What's your will for my life? And, and that's really powerful, because it really is. And, and that, that gesture to God is, you see, we seeing in uh, those significant uh, moments in your life as a, as a young adult. So you've been at the ranch, but there's a, you've got Chris back here in Geelong. So you end up back here, you get married, you start having children, things are settled, but things sort of then... Uh, change direction a little bit for you, especially in your heart when, when it's something, someone significant passed away? Yes, yeah, so um, we got married in 19, May of 1977 and uh, that was a very good decision, very <laughs> good decision. Um, I just want to allude something before I get on to this, Mark, because I think this is important. My family were not rich, but we were well off. And so I had a credit, when I was living at home with my parents, um, I had access to the Maya credit card, like I could just go and put things on an account. Like I had access to funds, mum would just say, yeah, go and get that, just put on the account at Maya. Like, you know, there was a lot of financial freedom that I actually grew up thinking that money grew on trees. <laughs> and then God <laughs> marries me to an accountant. <laughs> so, you know... I really believe Mill Valley Ranch, for me, was I went there as a girl, I was 19, I came home and I was 21 to get married. And I always say, I went there a girl and I came home a woman because I had to grow up. Yeah. During that time, my parents, while I was at Mill Valley, my parents packed up and moved to North Queensland. And I was devastated because 
um, I didn't have a home base. Like Mill Valley, I knew was where God wanted me, but I probably never saw that that was a, yeah. a permanent thing. And my very good friend, Margie Baker, her beautiful parents opened up their home to me. So when I came home to Geelong on my one day off a week, which was a Monday, and Chris would be working, seeing, see why I had doubts about this relationship ever going to be keeping together. But um, they opened up their home to me and allowed me to to board with them. But I felt really lost again. Like I felt abandoned by my parents. It was an awful time. And I mean, I really grieved. I did not want my mum and dad to go. And I mean, I'm 19 and 20. You'd think I would have grown up, but I'm obviously, you know, I was immature yeah. and yeah. I just couldn't. But so... One time, Mark, when I was at Mill Valley, I had a, a car, that, which my parents very graciously bought me, but it was a pretty ordinary car. And it, I remember one time it broke down and I needed $60. Now, this is 1970-something, $60 to have it repaired, and I didn't have it. And I remember getting down on my knees and I thought, well, God, you told me that you were going to look after me. I can't go to Mum and Dad now because I've told them that God's going to look after me at Mill Valley. So I can't go to them and ask for any money. No longer have access to the Maya credit card, although I don't think they do cars. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, I, you know, and I got down on my knees. And I said, God, you told me that you're going to look after me. You're going to provide all my financial needs. And it was just incredible how, you know, someone sent me $20 and then $10 appeared here and something else happened. Yeah. And again, yeah. by the end of the time that the car was ready to be picked up, guess who had the 60 bucks? Me. Yeah. Didn't have a lot of money, but God always, always met my needs. Yeah. So then, so I grieved for mum then, right? Chris and I got married in 77, and then uh, six months later after um, we were married, my mother was diagnosed. She was 48 years of age, and she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and she died within three weeks. And I had to fly to Queensland up to Cairns. She died up in Cairns. I had to fly up for her, uh, sorry, to see her before she had passed. And I was grateful that I did get to see her. Um, but that, for me, was gut-wrenching. It was heartbreaking for me. But I'd done... When I came back to Geelong, because I'd only been up there a couple of years, the funeral was actually down here and she's buried at the Eastern Cemetery. But because... Um, I'd done a lot of grieving when they'd moved to Queensland. In some ways, it didn't seem any different, if you know what I mean, because I'd done a lot of grief and things had changed significantly anyhow. But um, three and a half years after we were married, um, I gave birth to our, our first son, David. I didn't tell you about my kids. I've got David and Jonathan, who I adore. They are the bee's knees and the ant's pants. I think Dave's coming tonight. Jono's here have two beautiful daughter-in-laws, Jess and Megan. Love them to bits as well. They've really enriched our families. And then we have five grandchildren from 14 down to eight. And they are delightful. So what am I saying about... So, sorry, so I gave birth to Dave. And two months after I had become a young mum, I started to not be coping so well as a mother. And I went through what I now know was postnatal depression, but I didn't actually know what it was because back then they didn't tell you. Like, I didn't. I never told anybody. I just slogged on. Chris knew something was up, but he... None of us... Re we just didn't know what was going on, and it was a horrendous time for me. Um, and I just longed. I absolutely was... I just longed. I need to see my mother. 
I was angry at God. I was angry at the unfairness that everyone else has got their mothers. How come I don't have mine? Um, it was a really horrible time, Mark. And then it lasted for about six months. And now you've got to think about this. She had died four, she'd been dead four years at this stage. But here I'm still doing this horrible walk of grief and loss um, and just longing. And I'll, I'll tell you a story that it tells you really where my mental health was. It wasn't in a good place because I'll tell you, this is the conversation I had with God. I was in the, in the streets of Belmont in the arcade there. I had David in the stroller and I'd been talking and pleading with God that I just want my mother back. I need my mother. I want her back. So I'd really got to the, basically what I felt like was the end of my tether. And so I imagined what life would be like without my right arm. And I was praying in my head to God as I'm pushing the stroller. And I said to God, I said, God, I will give you my right arm if you'll just give me my mother back. And I mean, I think now, and I think you must all think I'm nuts because really I clearly must have been because no. she'd been dead four years. But I meant it because I knew God was capable of anything. So I thought, well, he can bring her back. And so I, I imagine that because when I mean business with God, I don't pray things lightly. I meant it. And then I heard, and again, I don't always hear God audibly, but a voice came into my head and I knew it was God. And he just said to me, he said, Biz, and I'll just tell you, Jesus calls me Biz. I'm just letting you know. Okay? <laughs> now, so I love good. Robin, but I tell you what, yeah. he just says to me, Biz. <laughs> so he, good. Said, uh, he said, are you prepared to give David? And I thought it through. Hmm. Mm. No, God, I can't give David. No, David's the here and now. Mum's in the past. No, I can't give David. And with that, the Lord just said to me, I gave Jesus. And I knew that the Heavenly Father knew what it was to lose a son. He knew what it was to have the depth of grief and pain. And he knew, and I, I hope that's an encouragement to you today, that no matter what you are going through, whatever waters you walk through, the pain and the suffering, goodness knows what you've yeah. been through. And I can only imagine. Some of you, I know your stories. Others, I don't. But God gets you. He is with you. Oh, I spat. <laughs> he is with you. He knows your pain. He knows your journey. He knows your loved ones. His hand is upon your shoulder. And so I just want to share that because it was so... And you know what happened that day? The, cra the, cloud, the cloud lifted. Yeah, it had taken powerful. six months of me tearing and paining and hurting, but the, cl the cloud lifted, Mark, and it was yeah. incredible. When you told me that story, I was really deeply moved as well because I, and I love what you said and I think there's a quote there that which you said you know that whole that Jesus understood your pain he understood and it, it reminds me of uh, in, even in Hebrews 4 uh, which I think we've got that text as well for we do not have a high priest who is unable to emphasize without weaknesses but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are yet he did not sin so we can take comfort. So we're going to just jump forward a little bit more. 
because there's a, there's a lot of other stuff that, that did happen in your life. And we just, I'd love for you just to share briefly because we are, we are starting to run out of time. It's just a little period of time, even uh, before you got the role at uh, Christian College, where you opened your heart up to, to your career move post-kids. Yep. So post-kids at school, when, they, when your yeah, kids went the kids to school. school. Yep. And, you know, I'm, yeah, I, I guess I was always looking at opportunities or things that I would like to do. And, again, I prayed to the Lord, God, where to from here? What do you want for the next part of my life? And um, I said to God, I said, you know, I'd love a job in a school, you know, because it would give me school hours, school holidays. I would love that, Lord. But I wasn't a teacher. And so I thought chances of that happening are pretty remote. But my dear friend that I've told you about, my lovely friend Ian McKenzie, rang me one day, and Ian was a, a trained teacher of the deaf, and he rang me one day and he said, Biz, he said, I'm heading overseas for three months. I'm now currently working at Christian College as a note taker for the hearing impaired. It, there was a student there had hearing loss, and would you fill in for three months while I go overseas? And I said, oh, Macker, I said, I'd love to do that. But I said, you better check with the school because I don't have the qualifications that you have. I've never done this before. Are you sure I can do it? The wonderful thing about Ian McKenzie was that he always believed in me. You know, it's great to have someone who believes in you that can see your potential. I hope that you've got someone that yeah. believes in you that can appreciate your giftings. So he said, Biz, you'll be fine, but I will talk to the school. Anyhow, phone call comes back. Yes, they're happy to put you on for three months. And uh, I ended up staying 25 years. So yeah. something happened then. And so I did uh, actually did some training at, at uh, the Gordon Tech uh, to become a note taker for hearing impaired. Um, then I walked, worked on, became an integration aide and again went to Deakin University or did it all off campus. So I was still working but studying off campus and um, became qualified in that area. And then they asked me if I'd be interested in pastoral care, but you would need to do further study. And so I, I studied off campus for a couple of years doing a diploma in counselling. And so I was able to do that, and I was made, I was an assistant to the chaplain. So at that stage, I was doing integration work and also chaplaincy work. But um, then in the year 2000, Christian College purchased the senior school campus and our one and only back then chaplain, there's now about a team of seven or eight, but back then there was one, Dennis Tomlins, he went up to senior school and they said, Biz, we're going to make you a, a chaplain in your own right here at Middle, and I did do a bit of work at junior school as well. Wonderful. So that was, that was fantastic, and um, I remained being their school chaplain for for 15 years. You did, and you did a wonderful job. I know you had a big impact on my life and a number of students and staff members over that time. So you're a pastoral elder here. So for those who don't know, I'd love for you just to, just to share a bit about um, the fact that you love this church and Christian community's been significant in your life. Why is that? Christian community and church, in fact, is important to me because it's important to God. And... Uh, you know, the scripture tells us, do not stop meeting together. Like, don't stop gathering together. And there's a reason for that, because there's fellowship. And when Mark asked me if I would do this, and I said, oh, Mark, I'm not sure, you know, mm -hmm. like, do you, you know, like, oh, really? 
And there was doubts and fears that rose up within me until God just said to me, Biz, it's an opportunity to testify yeah. about, well, he didn't say, but I'm just going to say, the goodness of God in my life. Yeah. And so for me, and look, we've been part of this church the year that Chris and I were married in 1977. That was also the year that we became members. It wasn't in this location, but members of this church. That was the year I was born. There you go. <laughs> that was a very good year. It was. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent year, like a good wine, Mark. Thanks, Biz. Not that I would know. No, I, I shouldn't say that. I, I, I do a, what's that word? I have one every so often. Um, what was I saying, Mark? We're talking about oh, Christian community. Important. Sorry, Christian community. So for me, I have a short story to share, but so do you. Yeah. So do you have a story to share, and by telling your story to others... Um, you know, the people that have gone before us, like my friend Ian McKenzie, you know, Stuart and Gwen Ray, they were here in the early days. Gwen's still here with us now. But I'm just saying the significant influence they had, the teaching that I learned. Matt Jacoby's a great teacher. I learn, I learn. Particularly when I was a school chaplain, I loved coming here because I wasn't giving a lot here because my ministry was really at the school. Mm. But I came, Mark, because I was taught and yeah. I had something to give yeah. and I would suck it in so that I could give it back out. Yeah, it's great. And it was really helpful to me. That's yeah, wonderful. And I want to say how much I appreciate each and every one of you. Um, some of you I know really well, others I don't. And I try and learn names and then if I don't see you for a couple of weeks, the name's gone again and I get totally frustrated. But... It's good to be in the house of the Lord. It's important to God that we gather. We're here to, uh, to grow together, to sharp, iron sharpens iron. You know, Absolutely. To, yeah, so that's all I've got to say about that. Well, you've got lots of good stuff to say. And like I, I did briefly mention, you are a pastoral elder and you have been for a number of years now. So your uh, role as a pastoral elder, and, and I'd love for you... Because again, you, you've got a role, a leadership role here at this church. But I love your heart for maybe people who are just starting out in the church. Someone who's just maybe taken that step, even just more recently, that faith journey. And you can really relate to those because you did that as a 14-year-old. Um, what would you say to someone who's just starting out in their journey of faith? I'd encourage you to stay the, stay the, stay the what is it? Course. That's the word. Thanks, Mark. Stay the course. Stick it out. Look, my life, I really thought as a 14-year-old that if God's for me and no one else can be against me, like I thought it was going to be just, you know, rose buds and champagne and rainbows and <laughs> singing kumbaya for the rest of my days. Like I just thought that's how it would be. Right. But it's not. It's hard yakka. Yeah. I think it's hard yards. But I tell you what, when you open your heart to the Lord like I did... I've had a great life, I've had a fulfilling life, I've had an amazing life. And I've seen some really painful and difficult situations where people have been badly hurt. I've seen situations where um, some, some people have seem to have more than their fair share of tragedy and upset. I see that, Mark. Yeah. But you know what? I wouldn't want to do my life without God. He's yeah, my awesome. rock, he's my saviour, he's the one. It talks about him being our high shelter. He's the one where I come under his wings. Yeah, that's awesome. And these days in particular, when pressures come against me and things are heavy on my shoulders, mm -hmm. you know what I do? You put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. You yeah. start to praise. Thank you, God, for yeah. the goodness I can see. Thank you, God, for what you've done in my life. 
Lord, I don't understand this, but thank you that I can see that you are there, that your hand is upon my friend's shoulder, that you are at work, that you love them beyond measure. That's the other thing, Mark, about loving God. Um, he loves us beyond measure. So good. And if I had more time, I'd tell you another story about when I was in England. But I'm just telling you that after 20 years of being a Christian, I discovered a fresh and a new when I was in England about the depth of God's love. I always knew God loved me because I was told that and the scripture tells me that. But when I was in England doing a course over there, I discovered the depth of God's love. It, is, it knows no bounds. Yeah. And that's why it's easy to entrust my life to him because you know what? I have the fabulous husband, I have fabulous family, but no one loves me like my heavenly father. Oh, so good. Biz, that's powerful stuff. And I appreciate your honesty, vulnerability today uh, to share with, with us here. Uh, I just wanted to encourage you with a couple of things. As I was uh, spending time with you, and we've chatted a bit over the last few weeks, so I was really drawn to even Paul. Paul, the Apostle Paul, in, uh, in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians 13. And we all know that you do, you've done a number of funerals and weddings and, and you've uh, obviously done lots of different services at Christian College. We always know that uh, the scriptures from 1 Corinthians 13, you know, love is patient, love is kind. But at the end of that text, that chapter, Paul really uh, summarises a little bit and he says, and now these three things remain, faith, hope and love, but the greatest of these love. And uh, we've seen the love of God impact your life. And then you, out of the love that God's given uh, you and, and your heart being changed, you pour out of that. And I really wanted to encourage you in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, it says, We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love. And your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul's doubled down on this love, hope and faith. And your story picks up on all of those things. That God loves you. He's poured his spirit in you. And that you live a life of hope and faith. And that's an encouragement for all of us today. Just as Paul wanted to encourage the church at Thessalonians back uh, those year, many years ago, he encourages us in those three things. Those three things remain love, hope, and faith. So even today, as uh, you hear, hear Biz's story, I'm going to ask Biz to just to, uh, just to pray um, this morning. I'm going to invite the music team uh, to come up, and we're going to stand. Um, we're going to stand up here, and they're going to grab the, uh, the chairs for us behind. I'm going to invite the music team. And Biz is just going to lead us in a prayer as we, uh, as we worship, as we praise God together, as, as we lift up uh, the name of Jesus in this place, as those three things remain, love, faith, and hope. Let's pray. I might get you to stand this morning. What a privilege for me to be able to pray for you. And I thank God for each and every one of you. Let's pray. Loving God, it is so great for me to be able to testify about your goodness in my life. Thank you, Lord. But the most wonderful thing is that the goodness is in my life is not just for me. It's for every family gathered here this morning. Lord, I pray a release of your Holy Spirit upon those gathered here today. Father, that you would minister to them. Yes, Father, Lord. you would fill them. Just like you did when I was 14 years yes, of age. Lord. How I knew something within me shifted. Mm. Father God, would you do that for every man, woman and child. May they discover today a fresh and a new, whether they've been walking 
with you for a moment or forever. Yes, Lord. Lord, I pray today that it will be fresh and new. Father, I pray for the older folk. I'm praying for yes, those Lord. that are 60 years of age yes, and Lord. beyond. Your time is not finished yeah, yet. Yeah. Just as much as I shared my story today, you have a story to yes. tell. Thank you. And I'm asking you, I'm encouraging you, I pray, Lord, that you would open up doors and opportunities for every every uh, senior that's gathered here this evening, uh, this morning. Lord, would you open up for them opportunities? Yes, God. Father, I thank you for the opportunity that you gave me today. You know I was reluctant, but God, I thank you for that opportunity. Father, may you receive glory and honour and praise. Yes, and Father, we thank you for faith, hope and love. Yes, and we thank you that your love is absolutely the greatest. Yes, In Jesus' name, amen.